Well, good morning. I trust you had a, a great Christmas with your families together, and uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, if you want to start making your way there, Romans chapter 15. As you're turning there, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Okay, three of you. All right, so this illustration might only land for a few of you. Everyone else, you can tune out. Sorry. Wow. I was expecting a whole lot more. You said that you would stop eating junk food for your New Year's resolution. The lie detector determined that was a lie. (laughs) Found some great New Year's resolution slides here. Goal for 2019, to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I should have done them in 2017 because I promised them in 2015 and planned them in 2014. How many of us were like that? It's like, it's the same goal that we've had every single year of our life. And this one here, this is me. I need to start eating more healthy. But first I need to eat all the junk food in the house so it's not there to tempt me anymore. That's... Is that anybody else? Is it just me or is that every? Okay, good. It's like we're just being responsible, right? Just trying to eat all the junk food that we can for the next two days because, you know, it's being a good steward of the food that we have, right? (laughs) We'll say anything, right, to make that work. The funny thing about resolutions, New Year's resolutions, is that it gives us this idea that once January 1st hits, that nothing mattered all of the last 365 days, as if we're starting totally fresh and everything's new, as if all the calories that we consumed last year don't matter, because January 1st here and we all have a brand new start. I usually try to make the New Year's resolution of not making any New Year's resolutions, and I both achieve and fail at that goal every single year. And if you think about it too long, then it might not even make any sense what I just said. But really, a lot of people in this world put their hope and trust in their New Year's resolution. I mean, every, it's kind of foolish if you think about it, because every single year, the top New Year's resolution is to lose weight, is to be healthier. And if that's the New Year's, top New Year's resolution every single year, that might mean that we're not achieving our goals, right? But yet people are still putting our hope In these goals that we have to become a better us, there's so much effort that we put into it only to fail year after year, and usually we end up getting maybe more depressed because we set these goals for ourselves, and then we don't achieve them, and then we get really sad about it. So where does our true hope lie? We're going to be looking at Romans 15 here in a second. This goes to the next one. Where does our hope lie in 2019? Our big idea for this morning is to find your hope in the triune God. To find your hope in the triune God. Now, just really briefly, I love this slide that we have, this picture. I think we have it on a poster somewhere. Um, but it's from Visual Theology, and it's really helpful. It says that there is only one God. But there are three persons that are co-equal and co-eternal. And these are three divine persons. And so if you look closer, it's, I know it's hard to, to read everything. It's pretty small up there. Um, but you can find it online if you like. It says that God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. But yet they are all 
truly God. So we might be thinking then to ourselves, why do we need to find our hope in God? I'm already saved. Don't I already have that in the bank and I'm good now? I think having our hope in the triune God will help us because I think you know as well as I that even if you are a believer, are a believer in Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't live as if our hope is in God. We kind of live as if our hope is maybe in ourselves or our hope is found in other people. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. We're going to be spending most of our time in verse 13, but let's read through 8, uh, starting in verse 8 to get this passage, uh, this passage's context. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even, if he, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning as we open up your word that we will see where our hope in ourselves or even other people or even stuff that we will see where that fails us constantly. But I pray that you will have a renewed hope in you and that we'll live it out each and every day knowing of the eternal hope that we have through Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So coming off of the Christmas season, it's, uh, this is a verse in verse 8 that we don't often read, but yet it fits really well uh, with the coming Messiah. Just like in Philippians chapter 2, we see that Jesus the Messiah is making himself low by coming as a servant. He was a humble Jewish man that performed and fulfilled the entire law. And it says that he came this way to show, in verse 8, God's truthfulness and confirm the promises. Now in youth team on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Old Testament We've uh, made it through from Genesis to Malachi, all in just 14 short weeks. But it's been helpful, I think, to, to go through the Old Testament in this quick fashion to help, help us to get the bigger picture of God's faithfulness, get us the big picture of God's promises, and maybe not lose sight of that amongst smaller stories that happen in between. And it's been great going through because we've been able to see the promise that God made to Abraham the promise that God made to David, and throughout the prophets, how God promised over and over and over again about this coming Messiah, about the one who would take their sins for them. And so we see through Abraham, David, the Israelites, the prophets of this Messiah coming. And here we have in verse 8, so we come to verses like this in the New Testament when it talks about God confirming the promises, that it's a little bit more richer of a meaning for us. Because we've just been looking at thousands of years where God is reminding them, don't, don't forget, I promise this to you. I'm faithful to my promise. Look at how I'm confirming this over and over again. And I'm uh, sharing these promises with you over and over, over thousands of years. And now it happened. Jesus came. 
It confirmed the truthfulness of God. So it lifts up who our God is. But in this text here, we see that the, that's, he's, as he's talking here in Romans, that some of the Jewish people might only believe that this Messiah is for the Jews. Now they're thinking, this is for us and not for those Gentile people. But he's sharing with some these Old Testament scriptures with them to remind them, says, no, all along. When, when Jesus was promised from way back when, he was always promised for the Gentiles as well. It wasn't only just going to be for the Jews. And so he quotes these Old Testament scriptures to remind them that this was God's plan all along, to save people from their sins. This is going to be done through Jesus, both for Jewish people and for the Gentiles. So we see in verse 9 here, this first verse comes from 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, verse 50, which says this, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. This was uh, David in his, uh, after he, God had delivered him from all of his enemies and from Saul, uh, is chapter 23 is actually David's, entitled David's last words before he died. It's the same context as well from the psalm passage. But so we see here that this is, this nations that he's talking about is referring to the Gentiles. They didn't really refer the, to the, na- the Gentiles back in the Old Testament. They were the nations here. So it's for everyone because this was God's plan for them to sing praises, all the nations to sing praises to him. In verse 10, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. It says, rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods. This is also translated, O heavens, as O nations. And we see this is from Moses and next to his final words as well. And then in the next verse, in verse 11, we see, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. We see this praise this, um, this uh, rejoicing is for everyone, and it's for everyone because of Christ. It's not just for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentiles as well. Now, in case your New Year's resolution is to memorize a chapter of the Bible, start with this one. There's only two verses, so you can like knock it out like this month, and then maybe work on another one for the rest of the year, but just, just in case, that's a side note for you. And then Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That's from Isaiah 11.10 that he's referencing here. This is also referenced in Revelation 5.5, Revelation 22.16. Again, all this was to show that this hope in Christ is both for Jews and for Gentiles. And Paul is actually quoting Isaiah, and Jesus makes that same quote as well later on that we're going to take a look at. So God, in his infinite wisdom, in his great planning from the, before time began, he knew, and then he started prophesying that Jesus, as he comes, was to be hope, not just for the Jewish people, but he was to be hope for the Gentiles as well. Praise the Lord, because I am a Gentile. (laughs) He brings hope for me. But we're going to now focus in verse 13. Hope is originated by God. It says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope. 
when we try to understand the, the character of God and what he does, it's a lot different than when we try to understand our own character, right? If I were to label somebody as they are, they are the person of patience, they really show patience well, it won't take very long for me to drive in front of them five miles an hour under the speed limit with my blinker on never turning to find out the limit of their patience, right? Because everybody has that limit, we all know it. There's going to be a point in time when that person, who we would just categorize, they are the most patient person I ever know. There is always going to be a limit to where they will show, they will stop showing that patience. But when we say that God is the God of hope, it's different. Because there is not going to be a limit to where God will stop providing hope for his people. There's not going to be an end to it. There's not going to be a time where we just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, even as believers in Christ, and we keep doing the wrong thing that God's going to say, okay, forget it. It's, it. I'm done with that. When God is the God of hope, it means that he is the originator of hope, that hope is found in him and through him and because of him. Hope begins with God. So any hope that is offered to you through fitness plans, through clever sayings on Facebook that might be like, oh, that was really neat, all these things are going to fail you at some point in life. They'll all let you down at some point. But the only one, the God of hope, he can never let you down. It is impossible for him because it would be going against his character, be going against who he is to lessen your hope or reduce your hope at all. Because God is the God of hope. So when we talk about him that way, we mean that he's the source of all hope, and that both eternal and daily hope. So this eternal hope um, that is knowing that when we die, we're going to be with our Savior in heaven. This hope is not an, I sure hope so, fingers crossed, or it would be nice if this happened. This is a hope that is very sure, that is solid. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so our faith in Christ is what gives us this hope. It's what gives us this hope, this conviction, this assurance of that this is actually going to happen. Now, I, was gonna try, I started to try to think of a good illustration of something that was a sure thing, something that would give you total assurance. And the teens have really helped me over this last year. Um, with my illustrations, um, because they have a unique ability of picking them apart any one of my illustrations and showing me how it fails at some point, okay? If you really want to find out more about that, just ask them about the pendulum or the fork in the road illustration that I used. Okay, it's still an epic thing going on in our youth group. So I was trying to think of this perfect illustration, trying to think of something that would just solidify how sure of a sure thing our hope in God is. But the problem was every scenario I thought of, again, with the teen's help, I thought of one way that it could go wrong or you could lose your hope in that. If you maybe you have a million dollars locked in a vault for your retirement, the bank could go up in flames, the assurance paperwork could get lost, somebody could get robbed, you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen. Whether you're, you have your hope set in a good meal after this service, you never know. There might be a, a, a crazed person who's just having a really bad day at Pizza Ranch who decides to ruin all the pizzas. That could happen. 
There, there could be, you might have done the wrong recipe in the crock pot when you get home, or you forgot to turn it on. That's happened to us before. It, there's all sorts of things that could happen that would ruin that. It's not a sure thing. Maybe your hope of spending time with your family this week. You never know. Weather could get crazy. Somebody could get sick. Somebody might have to cancel last minute or go into work or whatever it might be. There's always something that could happen in this world that we live in that kind of reduces our sure thing, that something we thought we knew would happen. So that's why I couldn't come up with an illustration that would be perfect for talking about the hope that we have in God. Because there is no scenario in which we could not have hope in God, that God would let us down in some way. There's nothing that could happen. He is the source of all hope. There's no scenario. There's no crazy thing. There's no situation at all that could take away our eternity with Christ. It says in Romans 8, 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. That's why we can have hope in God. That's why our hope is secure in him. That's why I can't give you a good illustration because everything in this world will let you down at some point. Everything will fail you. We live in a sin-cursed world. We even fail the people we love the most. We let them down. But we can always hope in God. He won't let you down. We can have hope in him. Our hope is made possible in believing in Christ. As we see in verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, says, in believing. In believing in this Messiah that was prophesied to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that Jesus, in believing in him, you have that hope. So this God of hope that is offering this hope to you It's only available to you. You can only bank on that hope if you believe in Jesus Christ. It's only if you have your salvation only through Jesus. And that's how God is able to fill you with joy and peace. It's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 1.3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So through the resurrection, we have this living hope. But you have to have faith in that. It's made possible in believing in Jesus Christ who came as a servant for, to save both Jews and Gentiles. Now going back to verse 12 in Romans 15, this is also pulled from, Jesus references this in Matthew chapter 12, where the Pharisees are plotting on how to destroy Jesus. You want to know why? Because he healed a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Because he performed a miracle that changed the life of this man, and the Pharisees didn't like it because it happened when they didn't want it to happen. They weren't supposed to do any type of work at all, even healing people on the Sabbath, according to their laws. So the verses go on to say that Jesus was aware of this plot to destroy him, And he says they left that place and many people followed. They said, wow, he just healed a man's withered hand. I'm going to follow this guy. And then it says that Jesus healed all of them. 
everyone who was sick, everyone who was uh, maybe missing a leg, anyone who was lame, whoever was there, said Jesus healed them all. And then Jesus quoted Isaiah saying, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. In the name of Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. This is a stark contrast to the hope that was placed in the law. So he was kind of saying this, so you want to go with the Pharisees who are saying all your hope is in the law, accomplishing and doing everything perfectly. Do you want to go with them or do you want to go with me who heals the sick, who heals the lame, who heals the withered hand, and in me all the Gentiles will have hope? Would you rather place your hope in me or would you rather place your hope in the law? I think it's a pretty clear reason why we would probably rather be with Jesus. Because hope that is placed in the law is slavery to that law. Hope that is placed in Jesus Christ is slavery to Christ. So if you're a slave to the law, that you must obey all the commands in order to be saved. Every single one of them. You have to attain perfection. Because that is the standard. If you want to be saved according to the law, you have to do everything perfectly. Good luck with that. Think about this. Would you rather place your hope in that or would you rather place your hope in the one who actually fulfilled all of the law, who was perfect in, in every way, who was tempted in every way as you and I are and yet was without sin and he achieved perfection in that and sacrificed himself on the cross so that you don't have to pay the penalty of that sin, so you don't have to achieve perfection. All you have to do is have faith in him. Who would you rather have your faith in? What would you rather go for? What, you, what would you rather be a slave to? So let me ask you this now. If your faith is in this Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for you and rose from the dead, what does that fill you with? Doesn't that fill you with joy? Fills you with peace with God? Fills you with joy knowing that you don't have to experience the wrath of God anymore. That should be kind of an exciting thing. The wrath of God is already been taken care of through Christ. Maybe the joy of, of knowing that God loves you so much that he sent Christ to die for you. The joy of knowing that you are now able to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What a tremendous joy there is in Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What a great benefit of knowing and believing in Jesus, that your joy may be full. He also says that you're going to be full of peace. He says, may fill you with all joy and peace. Now, this does not mean that you're not going to have any more conflicts in your life. Because if you've lived any period of time as a born-again believer, you know that's not the case. So, Jesus said that the, talked about the cost of following him. He said it's going to be tough. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You have to be willing to leave your family in order to follow him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you rather division. <clears throat> it says, speaking of divisions between your earthly relationships. So this peace with God is a peace that we really want peace with. If there's anybody in all of the world that you would want to be in a peaceful relationship with, with, wouldn't it be Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be him? And he also gives us the ability to be at peace with one another. 
We all have this ministry, if you know Christ, to be um, not just not free from conflict, to be able to be at peace with each other. In Romans 14, 19, he says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, you believer, have this ability, he says, live peaceably with all. What great truths now that not only are we at peace with God, this God of hope, but he has given us this ministry and this ability to live peaceably with one another. I know it's tough. (laughs) I know it's difficult at times. But if you know Christ, you have this ability with you. What tremendous hope there is being filled with joy and peace. And again, this hope, remember, this hope is not coming from anything you can do. This hope is coming solely through the Godhead because the God of hope provides this hope for you through believing in Jesus Christ. Let's now move our attention to the third person of the Trinity in the Holy Spirit. Hope is powered by the Holy Spirit. It says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you realize that whenever you have hope in God, it's because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do that? That your ability to have any true hope at all is not based on your effort? It is based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It says in 2 Corinthians 5.5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Our hope of salvation for all eternity is a guarantee, it is to secure because of the Holy Spirit. Now this guarantee of our future salvation is thankfully not bound up in a piece of paper, right? A piece of paper could be burned, it could be lost. It's not bound up by a token of some sort. I am very forgetful, I could lose things, so I'm glad it's not just a token that I have to keep in my house but he secures and guarantees our salvation with the one thing that can never be lost or destroyed or removed. He secures and guarantees our salvation with himself. That is where our hope lies. That is why we can have hope because the promise is within himself. He promised it and sent the Holy Spirit to secure it, to guarantee that for us. And so that gives us the true and lasting hope that we need. And it's a hope that cannot let us down. It is a hope that does not disappoint. It is an eternal hope that we have. So as we start thinking about our daily hope, it should impact us on a daily basis. That's why this hope in 2019, where does it lie? It's not just, okay, good, I know I'm saved, that's great, but how, what for today? What about now? How can I have hope now when the world seems crazy? When I have relationships that are fractured, that aren't where I want them to be, how can I have hope now? Our our faultiness in our thinking often lies in that we think that this eternal salvation is somehow separate from my daily life. Think, okay, good, I'm going to heaven, my hope is there, that's nice, but what does that do for me today? We need to connect them together, we need to see how it fits In Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks to the Galatians saying this, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
it was kind of a, an, a rhetorical question. He's like, okay, yes, it's only by hearing with faith. It's not by our works that we receive the Spirit, that we were saved by works. He said, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, okay, so your salvation that you have received, was that on you? He's like, no, that was on the work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, so now as you're living your daily life trying to, to glorify you, why are you trying to do that on your own? Again, this is a ministry, this being perfected day after day. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because of the salvation you have, it's connected with your every day trying to glorify God. If we're trying to separate them out, thinking, okay, Jesus is just for the eternal, for the future, and not for the now, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And we're going to be doing a lot of sinning if we think that Jesus doesn't apply to me right here and right now and how I make my decisions, why I choose to do what I do in 2019. So many times in our lives where we try to separate that out. We try to maybe find our hope in the things of the world. Okay, Jesus is for eternal hope. The Holy Spirit is for that. What do I find in hope for today? We might try to find hope in the healthier foods we eat, the exercise equipment that we buy and we'll never use. We try to find hope in maybe our physical appearance. And it's a good thing to want to be healthy and take care of the body that God has given us. But it's a very wrong thing to put our hope and all of our worth in this body that is failing. First Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life right now and also for the life to come. While, while it's good to, to be healthy and, and to maybe set those New Year's resolutions and wanting to work out more and, and taking care of your body, while those are, are good things, what is the best thing? The best thing is to strive for godliness. The best thing is to put our hope in the Lord, to put our hope in the, the Holy Spirit, in God the Father. Maybe we should start making these New Year's resolutions to to grow in godliness by God's grace. Because godliness is what holds the promise for your life now and for your eternal life. How can you abound? As this passage says, he says, the the power of the Holy Spirit that you may abound in hope. In order to abound in hope, you must live each day recognizing that your hope is not determined by what you can do or by what others can do for you. It must solely be found in what Christ has already done. For those who have been saved through Christ, let's live as if we have this hope. It's a mentality that where you can say, that person didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated, but Jesus has already paid for my sins so I can treat them kindly. That's where the hope in this day, that's where it comes into fruition. That's how, where we can see it. We're like, they didn't do what I wanted them to do, but guess what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, because of who God is and providing me this eternal hope, I can love them more than I love myself. I can love my neighbor as I love myself. We have that ability. We have that ministry to live peaceably with all. Or maybe you might say, I haven't been doing as well on my exercise plan as I wanted, but guess what? Jesus is still alive. (laughs) I I think we can be okay with that. 
I think it shouldn't stoop us into, uh, into despair and woe is me. I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. My eating fitness plan on reading more. I wanted to read more this year and I didn't do as well on that. You know what? Jesus is alive and I think that's where my hope should be. Not in my own man-made goals that I'm setting up for myself. Right? I don't want to be like a Pharisee saying, I have to achieve my own goals and my own rules and my own plans in order for God to love me, in order for him to be pleased with me. I'd rather just leave that to the work that Christ has done because I know that that hope is secure. Hope it changes our perspective on everyday life. Choices that we're going to make this coming New Year's Eve the choices that we make for this new year, New Year's Day, and so on. I hope that you're making all of these choices based on the hope that you have in the triune God. You'll start to view your difficult circumstances as an opportunity to grow and rejoice. When you do this, you're going to start to view the good things that happen in your life as an opportunity to grow and rejoice. You'll start to put God where he should be and start to put yourself where you should be. John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. So when are the times that you're lacking in hope? When are the times that you are struggling to maybe see the, the future? You might think your eternity might not be secure. When are those times? It's usually during those times that you're going to try to put your hope somewhere else. Life is difficult, when things are just not going the way that you want them to go, you're going to really find, try desperately to put your hope in so many other things that are going to let you down. Just put your hope in the triune God, the God of hope. I would like us to take time to fix our hope in 2019 solely on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It says we have many things, we have many things that we hope for, right, this coming year. Right, with many of us, we want to have more money in the bank account at the end of next year than we did this year, maybe. Maybe we are hoping uh, to maybe get along with our family better. Maybe there's relationships, friendships that we want to resolve in this coming year. A lot of things that we're hoping for. We hope to have a senior pastor position filled, don't we? We have a lot of hopes. Thing is, I cannot and you cannot guarantee that any of those things will happen. We can't. We don't know the future. But one thing that we do know, that I know for sure, is that God still rules and reigns on high. And he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for yours and my sins. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live out today and tomorrow with joy and peace and with hope. If you know him and have a relationship with him, you, can have, you have that hope too. It's there. If you don't know him, I want to encourage you, come talk to me. This is a tremendous hope. It's, it's difficult to even share, even explain how the hope you can have even when things are difficult and tragedy is around. It's difficult to explain it, but it is a joyful, wonderful thing to have this hope. I want to encourage you to talk to me or talk to somebody you came with if you need that hope in your life. I'll just close with reading this verse again. This is our prayer, I hope, for us in 2019. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. 
Lord, we're thankful for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This triune God gives us hope. Lord, forgive us for when we try to find our hope in something else, in anyone else. You know it's going to fail us. We know it's going to fail us. But we also know that you will never fail. Our hope is bound in you, and we are thankful for that. We rejoice knowing that our salvation is secure in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us in 2019 to put all of our hope and trust in you and you alone. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.